0: Welcome to Economics Amplified, a podcast where we talk about insights on today's biggest economic issues being tackled by researchers at UChicago's Becker Friedman Institute. In this episode, we talk with John Taylor of Stanford University and Harold Ulig of the University of Chicago, who organized a recent conference that brought together scholars from around the world to write a second volume of the Handbook of Macroeconomics. First written 15 years ago, the handbook was designed to be a comprehensive resource on important concepts governing the course of macroeconomic research, but much has changed about how we understand the macroeconomy in the past 15 years. John and Harold gathered experts from across the research spectrum in order to produce a new volume that reflected the course of macroeconomic analysis as it stands today in the wake of a financial crisis. We're still trying to understand as well as in the advent of advanced computational techniques and vast untapped datasets. The conference took place in two parts, the first hosted by the Hoover Institution at Stanford University in early April 2015, followed by a second three day conference here at the University of Chicago several weeks later. At the conclusion of that second conference, John and Harold sat down with us to explain what it means to collaboratively write a comprehensive handbook and what they learned about the current state of macroeconomic research in the process. So how are you guys doing? How do you feel about how the conference went?
1: Good. I feel good. We haven't chatted about it, but it was good. I mean, we're going to look forward to looking at the papers and thinking more about it. But it was a wide range of topics, which... Reminds one how diverse the field of macroeconomics is, and uh, people did good jobs uh, presenting them, and the discussions were as good as you could get, and uh, really very thorough.
2: So, I liked it. Good. You know, the challenge with a handbook like this is always for authors to actually, you know, eventually write the chapter. So I thought having these conference was brilliant. As, as one discussant put it in the conference, it, it was a little bit like midterm, and <laughs> you know, there's nothing like peer pressure to deliver something. So many authors, you know, a few days before the conference, eventually actually delivered you yeah. know, a, a, a written draft, and everybody, you know, had something at the conference. Many of these things, you know, maybe not fully worked out, but interesting and thoughtful making progress, so now we have something there and and, and now authors can finalize it for the final version. So I was very impressed with what authors had to say and what discussions delivered. Great.
0: Um, Given, you know, you have a a huge array of speakers, a huge array of topics being brought into the macro context, did you see uh, a common thread through um, some of the updates that people were making to older lines of research or newer lines of
1: research that were being brought into the volume? I think as we expected, there was a lot on the financial crisis and slow recovery and how that should affect your thinking about models uh, and assessing the adequacy of models that were there before. And I think that may be a theme that's most common, actually, because so much has happened since the last one, but just in general, a lot of things have happened in the economy. So people were trying to explain uh, why we had that sharp drop in the in the Great Recession, uh, seeing whether, say, the models that the European Central Bank uses are adequate or where they need to be changed. They one one paper tried to say, well, suppose we um, modify that model to include more of financial frictions. Would it work better? And the answer was, well, only a little. <laughs> and so it, it suggests there's some more thinking to do about that. but I'd say that's probably one big common theme.
2: And, and it was no accident either, right? I mean there's this, I mean the macroeconomics has changed so much since the last time came out. Not only that, but we also had the big uh, financial crisis that had led a lot of macroeconomists rethinking many issues in in macroeconomics, or at least uh, maybe coalesce more around themes that were there before to some degree. But but you know, had now attracted many more researchers. And so when we sat down and, and thought about which chapters to include, you know, we we, we thought hard about you know, having more chapters on you know, financial markets and the macroeconomic, for example, you know, which is a theme that that, that emerged. But also chapters on, uh, you know, new Keynesian dynamics, fiscal multipliers, fiscal crises, which right now in, in Europe, for example, you know, play, play quite a role, but also play a role in the United States. So many of the issues that, that recently, um, you know, surfaced in terms of real events and that have led to you know, changing the research agendas of some of our colleagues out there and led to new developments in macroeconomics are reflected in these chapters, you know, partly, partly by our choice, I would say.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, but try to reflect what's going on in the field and, mm. and uh, as best we can choose topics that reflect that. There's also things that have happened over time they're kind of unrelated to the crisis. Which, you know, the world goes on in other ways. One thing I picked up, I don't know if, if Harold would agree, that it seems like there's many more papers or models, at least, that have some kind of a price or wage rigidity in them, at least compared to uh, 15, 20 years ago, when You're it was right much right. much more common to have real business cycles only. But as I, you know, think about you know, Volker wielands Model database—they're almost all something to do with, with—I uh, would call that frictions or rigidities in the economy, rather than uh, purely new, neoclassical or pure uh, flexibility—and uh, and so that's—I think a trend. I don't think the financial crisis is going to change that much, but um, because people feel that's kind of a better way to model things.
2: Right, but also, I mean, generally, informational frequency, heterogeneity, is another theme that I think Mm has strongly emerged in macroeconomic research over the last decade or so that may be unrelated to the crisis. So we have seen, you know, for example, the chapter Golosov at the Stanford conference. There's there's a lot of development in, in in sort of this area of new public finance, where people think about how to, you know, design certain contracts in, in a macroeconomic context, or how to collect taxes from people if you don't know much about them. Or today we saw. Paper by George Morris, Angelatos, you know, where, where people uh, may have incomplete information about the economy, but also incomplete information about other people in the economy, and how do you react to this? So that's on the theory side, and and then on the empirics, um, you know, it, it, I mean, with the new data sets coming along, panel data sets on, on households, and and um, I know the data sets on on zip codes, you know, mortgages and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of research that went into this, and that exploits that data for Analyzing macroeconomic equations of interest, and I think all that work, you know, wasn't wasn't there or was in its infancy fifteen years ago. So that that was really exciting to see and to to bring out in, this, in these conferences as well.
0: Were there tools or or aspects um, that were not at the disposal of researchers fifteen years ago that? Are a core part of this handbook volume. I noticed that at least one of the chapters had a, a companion software package. A
1: computing methods. I mean, is that, that something change, that you uh, saw in the last volume,
0: or, of, or is that something that's relatively much a paper uh, uh,
1: devoted simply to improvements to the in the way to, to, yes. to compute yeah. The, yeah, that was the solution of so very complicated <laughs> <laughs> models, many time equations, yes, <laughs> yes, many nonlinearities, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of progress that's been made there. I, there's also on the statistical side. We had some papers that have new ways to summarize and characterize data. Sort of, sort of part of the big data movement, and uh, that was a the Stock Watson paper mm-hmm. talked about how you know analyzing literally thousands of data series to sort of get
2: a sense of where the economy is going. That's all new. I mean, in terms of solving these models, I mean that that has. Uh Progress dramatically since the last handbook. I would say it's. I mean, I think some of the ideas were already there. In fact, there was this very forward-looking numerical solution method by Santos in the in the previous handbook. I, I feel, but nowadays it's you know using Dyma and using some of these tools that are out there, it has become you know reasonably easy for researchers to take a medium-scale model and just calculate the solution to that and you know, um, and, and comparing them, and it, it's now becoming even easier with uh, Volker wielands macroeconomic database, so people take the next step, including heterogeneity, including nonlinearities. linearities uh, you know, linking it to asset prices, and so I think that that opened up a whole bunch of possibilities that just didn't exist 15 years ago.
1: One thing that I think people may not realize about macroeconomics is these fields within it that are quite uh, different and unusual. So just one is, we had a paper called Family Macroeconomics, and the point was that if you're going to analyze the whole economy, macroeconomy, you sort of have the sense of what not just individuals are doing, but what families are doing, and how the family structures changed, the role of of women in the uh, labor force over time, and maybe that's part of the explanation for the declining labor force participation rate of, among men. So Michelle Turtelt and Matthias Tupke did a great paper on that, mm-hmm. and um, it's quite striking if you think about it, that, that's completely new. There's really, actually I sometimes trace it back to Gary Becker uh, here at Chicago. He, he gave his presidential address to the American Economic Association way back when and no, he's not a macroeconomist, it was on macroeconomics. He <laughs> talked about how these things will eventually be, or should at least be eventually, influencing macro, and here they are. Another another example, Eric Hurst, to give a paper on the time, out, time allocation of people, uh, what they do during the day. If, if they're not working, what are they doing? Are they working at home, or is it leisure? Are they taking time with kids? And that affects a lot how we interpret unemployment data, what's going on over the cycle. So allocation of time and then family, it's just quite remarkable how, how how things have changed. And it's it's part of the part of the world, but also part of the fact that economists have, macroeconomists have, have moved in different
2: directions. So some macroeconomists, for example, also now think about global warming will impact um, the macroeconomy in the future. So that's a that's a huge topic and we have a we have a chapter on that 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 I'm very excited about. Um, I mean, environmental changes. Global warming is uh, often discussed, you know, by natural scientists, who sort of go through the, you know, what happens to the the, the the ice caps and you know what happens to certain animals and so forth. But ultimately, um, you know, maybe care about what happens to humans, and, and judging the impact of that requires a macroeconomic model. So combining, you know, thinking hard about the, the, you know, the impact of global warming on the economy, and on the lives of people. I think that's a, that's a hugely important topic. Um, that that deserves a lot more attention. So I'm excited that we have a chapter on this with with authors you know seriously thinking about this. Um, and you know there's you know there's a chapter on, on natural experiments that, that wasn't there that wasn't a topic that was there before. So it looks to me like macroeconomics has really branched out into you know new areas and, and new themes, and it's just exciting to watch that all.
1: Yeah, I think the natural experiments is is also important for people to understand. Since the financial crisis, we've also had some interventions, uh, public policy changes, stimulus packages, monetary policy is quite different, and that is kind of like a natural experiment because people people didn't really expect it, so mm-hmm. it's different. It's almost you know almost like you're doing an experiment, and so. This paper on natural experiments and macro focused a lot on estimating the impact of uh, one-time payments to people. They, there's a, a way to randomize that, the way the payments were made based on social security information. Hmm. So I think there'll be more and more on that. And it's very current, but it, it is part of this, actually a broader thing in, in economics, the notion of natural experiments, and since it's not inherently an experimental science, but over the years people have stressed, well, there are these things like the draft uh, that, that have come into play, which you can uh, find out a lot about, or a particular public policy change, uh, what happens from one state to another. And uh, that's what this natural experiments in macroeconomics is about.
0: Um, in that similar vein, um, you know, there's a, two conferences I think what was the total presenter?
1: We had thirty-five between, between both, and I'm just trying was to it? estimate. I mean, it's therefore it's at least uh, seventy people, but it's more than that. I'd say, you know, eighty or ninety people presented. Mm. Uh, I mean, that, that's a tremendous amount of work. Yeah, it um, is how are you
0: what's the process of synthesizing that into um, into chapters I mean I know a lot of the the groundwork was laid ahead of time but you know there's a lot of active discussion as in any Chicago event
2: <laughs> um, well, I mean, the, the chapters uh, were already organized in, in themes right and so there's an outline uh, for the handbook uh, you know, from the get-go when we contacted the authors and that that already provides some organizing principles some chapters will have connecting points with each other so we we'll, John and I will point that out to authors, and I'm sure as these chapters get written and redrafted, um, these authors will be in touch and, 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 and find out uh, where the lines are, what should be in which chapter. But it doesn't look like there's a lot of overlap between these chapters, so, so that shouldn't be a huge issue. And then John and me probably have to write uh, you know, some way of providing a, you know, what's a Korean vision, what's one way of uh, integrating all these chapters and one big vision for macroeconomics.
1: Kind of like an introduction, yeah,
2: introduction, which we will
1: do. But we also, uh, giving feedback to the authors based on observations of, mm-hmm. at the meeting, uh, plus on our own reading of the material, trying to get the level of uh, difficulty, you know, pretty common, so it could be used for graduate students or, or other faculty, sort of a common approach to it, and we'll be working on that. We actually have some time. We want the final final draft to be submitted in just December fifteenth, and then the publisher will start working on copy editing. And I'm sure, they'll have a few more suggestions. So we want to get the the printed book out by September of next year.
0: Is it, uh, in the first
1: handbook volume?
0: Was it written in this way with a conference associated with it? It was actually, okay. and it's two different
1: locations too. Yeah. yeah. It's a very very similar, uh, but again, the, the field has changed so much. It's where uh, we we look back and see you know what what the difference is in the papers and there's some real classics in that volume, and I'm sure there'll be some classics in this volume. We won't be able to tell uh, for some of them for a while because the field you know the field will develop where people start referring to them and referring to the pieces. But it's like almost all the time in research, you don't know when it's being done, what's going to be the most helpful or effective or influential.
0: Is there an inherent advantage to this approach, just where you're synthesizing so many different views together into one singular handbook?
1: Well, compared to what? One, one thing you could compare it to is a, a textbook. Uh, so there are some graduate textbooks in uh, macroeconomics. They're usually put together by a single or one or two authors, uh, and they are sort of picking and reinterpreting uh, things. So this is, I think, an advantage. This is actually written by the researchers, sort of from the horse's mouth. And they're gonna be innovative where they want to be. They're not gonna worry about that view and this view. So I think it's a a substantial advantage over textbooks. I mean, textbooks have their own advantage, but that's that's the one I would point to uh, for this purpose. And I, I think from the point of view of assigning topics to students, having them read things that were written by the researchers rather than somebody who interpret the researchers I think is a real, real nice thing because then, you know, they can understand and get an appreciation for what, it, what the research is like. And, and sometimes the people who are surveying, so it will take the family macroeconomics. Um, it will be fine, hard to find a textbook writer who will know about family macroeconomics but the people who wrote that chapter know it cold, mm. and so they'll do, I think, almost
2: inherently a better job. And compared to the to reading the literature, I mean, it just provides uh, such an easier access to the literature and entry point, really. I mean, obviously, if you want to know about uh, family microcomets, I mean, you could read the papers by these authors and the other papers, and you may know more than than a handbook chapter could possibly convey. But to get started on the field. Uh, and get to the research frontier as quickly as possible. These handbook chapters are really, really fantastic, and it's hard to find a good substitute for that.
0: Um, is there any worker literature that you felt it was particularly important to include for Volume 2? Um, and conversely, is there anything that you wish you'd been able to include that just you couldn't for whatever reason?
1: Well, I think macroeconomics has expanded, and so it co- it's more diverse, it's covered more things, but you really want to have some chapters written on the models that are used for policy. And we did, we had nearly several that, that did that. You want to have some chapters that uh, had something to do with looking at the financial crisis. It's, it would be a, it's essential uh, to do that. So those are a couple of the things that it would be really strange not to have something on fiscal policy not something on yeah. monetary policy and uh, while this book doesn't focus on policy per se it's sort of inherently through the whole the whole the whole thing there's a topic in macroeconomics uh, which is business cycles so we have to have business cycles it'd be crazy not to long-term growth is another part of it so there's chapters on long-term growth um, in terms of missing things we we'll have to look at it a little more carefully see what There's some chapters that are not uh, complete. They're sort of in process, and some things might be contained in those. Uh, We'll have to sort of see
2: what's missing. Yeah, and we also have to think a little bit about in other handbooks that are out there, right? There's a recent handbook on economic growth. There's a recent handbook on monetary economics. And, you know, one could consider these as subfields of macroeconomics, but there would be little reason to cover them extensively in this, this handbook as well and so we we try to you know find the appropriate border and that's 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 always a tricky thing i mean um you know I keep on thinking about you know, themes and topics that we missed i you know there surely are some there surely are people that we that wish maybe we would have asked uh, to to come on board but uh you know it, it's possible that we stick with the current outline and just and just stay with that and i think it's a it's a good collection of chapters it doesn't cover everything in macroeconomics but it covers a very, very broad. Uh, I
0: heard one of the broad. truest things I've heard said at one of our conferences, which was, "There's always something we don't know." <laughs> oh, that's, that's for sure. true.
1: right? Yeah. Actually, it's more, also the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Really, that's that's certainly true. Listening to this, I, I don't know Harold, but macro is such a big field. Right. You can't know all of it, so I learned a lot. In the question. <laughs> for sure. One and thing, yeah. I mean, uh, just. Uh, one topic which we covered a lot, which I think is great, is housing. True. So you, Harold, had a great paper on the housing boom and bust. And, and, and how do you think about that? Uh, Sufi had a paper here in business school, Amir Sufi, about how the housing collapse affected people's consumer durable demand or other kinds of purchases, and why that maybe that had something to do with the slow recovery. And at the, at the Stanford-Hoover part, we had a paper on housing by Monica Piazzese and Martin mm-hmm. Schneider, uh, which would try to link it to the macro side a little bit. It's not surprising to have that focus, because a lot was going on in housing in this crisis. And, and there's papers written in historical fashion, which we discussed a little bit today, too, which shows that that's quite common in other financial crises in other countries, other times.
0: Well, I'm not going to guess, make you guess uh, what the next financial crisis will be or, or predict the future, Good, but thank you. But, do you, <laughs> uh, but do you have a sense, um, given the trajectory of, of technique, of technology, of, of data sets that are becoming available, do you have a guess at the research agendas that might shape the third volume?
2: I find that incredibly hard. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, if you had asked me where my would be 15 years from now, when I looked at the handbook in 1998, I don't, I don't think I could have possibly envisioned, uh, you know, the, the, the kinds of chapters, the kinds of things that people might, uh, have written about now. I mean, some, some of these things were in the works, like thinking hard about heterogeneity, maybe expanding the numerical tools, um, maybe thinking hard about some fiscal issues and so forth, but so much has come up in um, you know, due to due to current events and due, uh, due to the creativity and imagination of uh, researchers, um, I mean, there's a lot of rethinking of economics going on all the time. I think. People, people from the outside that, that that look at universities probably think that uh, you know what what we do here is you know we hash the same themes and the same truth over and over again. And really, what's going on is that the truth are constantly destroyed on an ongoing basis. by right? <laughs> there's new research coming out all the time. The people that become the future stars are the people that completely rethink an issue um, that that people had believed to be solved. They challenge the conventional wisdom. And if I knew how to do that, I, I would you know, I try to do this myself. But if, if it was clear to me where the direction would be going, you know, that would be easy, right? So I would be doing that myself. John would be doing that. Um, so I think we would see lots of you know, future, young, emerging stars coming out, challenging what has been written in this handbook, saying how it's all wrong, and <laughs> coming up with new insights. And that will make the next handbook you know, all the more exciting.
0: Great. Um, so
1: when, it sounds like we can get it in 2016? That's the hope. Yep. Yeah, hopefully We're on <laughs> track. Uh, the, uh, this, this process of having the conferences, as Harold mentioned, is a real deadline and a, a real catalyst to getting people's thoughts on paper mm-hmm. and uh, getting a first round of, of constructive critiques. And I can, I can now see it getting done. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of Economics Amplified on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, and on our website. Our theme music is by Boris Mann too, whom you can listen to on SoundCloud. The Becker Friedman Institute for Research in Economics advances inquiry that illuminates our choices, our economy, our society, and our future. To learn more about the Institute, visit bfi.uchicago.edu.